0: This episode of the Startup Life is brought to you by PeopleReady. Startup Nation, you have a lot on your plate. The last thing you need to stress about is finding quality staff or the available work you need to be successful. Save time and headache by working with a trusted staffing partner that meets your everyday needs. People Ready is a national staffing provider with over 600 locations across the country and 30 plus years of experience serving people just like you. They specialize in a variety of industries including retail, manufacturing, logistics, general cleaning, hospitality, construction, and more. People understands that you're busy and on the go. That's where their mobile app, JobStack, comes in. Use the app to place orders or find work 24-7 or wherever you are. And as social distancing continues to change the way we interact with customers, colleagues, and our everyday lives, JobStack provides the ability to find the right temporary workers or work you need while eliminating the amount of physical touch points needed in the staffing process. Visit peopleready.com forward slash Startup Life to learn more about how you can partner with PeopleReady. It's time to be about that life. The Startup Life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is The Startup Life, the show for entrepreneurs and career-minded professionals. You know, Startup Nation, all around us, in our business, there are a lot of belt tightening and reconfiguring given the times that we're in. What we're experiencing is often compared uh, to the Great Recession of 2008. Some would say that it's a lot worse, which is why we brought on a great guest today that knows a little bit about turning around a company during a turbulent time. He is the former CEO of Prologist where he led a multi-million, multi-billion dollar turnaround during the Great Recession of 2008 with an approach he calls transformative influence. He's also been featured on CNBC, CNN, Fox, Bloomberg, and NPR and have been quoted in publication publications such as the Wall Street Journal. Institutional Investor and Forbes magazine. His blog was listed on recruiters.com top 10 list of company culture experts to read. He is also the author of Transfluence, how to lead with transformative influence in today's climate of change. He is Walt Rakowicz. Uncle Walt. How are you good, sir? I'm great, Dominic. How are you doing today? I can't complain. I can't complain. Look, uh, every- good. For sure. So everybody's, you know, looking forward to our conversation. Do you think you can help us out and pour some knowledge in the startup nation today, Uncle Walt?
1: Well, I'm going to I'm going to give it my best. Let's let's put it that way. I I, I, I always do. And hopefully your readers will uh, will agree that, that we have.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. <laughs>
1: Listeners, I should say, not readers.
0: <laughs> we knew what you meant. It's fine. It's I know. Good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. So if you would, Walt, just kind of share your origin story, if you don't mind. Good, sir. Sure. I'd be I'd be happy to. Uh, Share some of my story. Sure. Uh, you know, I I grew up in I'm
1: I'm a I'm a Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania guy, and so don't hold it against me. I don't know what team you like, but I'm the, I'm the Pittsburgh Steeler guy.
0: It's all, good. Um,
1: but I currently live in Denver, Colorado. I'm grandson of uh of some European Im- immigrants, and mm-hmm. um you know, I tell you, my my leadership journey was really molded by so many things, not the least of which was my upbringing, really. Um, <clears throat> I like to tell people, I always use the term, I, I hit the parent lottery, you know, we mm. um, we didn't really have a tremendous amount of financial wealth, but there was always a wealth of love and support um, with my folks. And, um, you know, they're, they're very hardworking people and appreciated what they had. But the one thing that I look back on with them is that they appreciated people for who they were,
0: mm. not
1: what they had, not what they did, but right. just. You know who they were, and and that really made a uh, a great impact on on me, um, in my my leadership journey growing up. Always harking back to what your your folks tell you, and and they do. So, I mean that's that's a little bit of my back. Quickly, my background. I I uh, graduated from Penn State University. Um, mm-hmm. Being from Pennsylvania, I worked about four years for, uh, PwC. Now, you know it today, but it used to be called pro, uh, uh price Waterhouse. Right. And, uh, so I was, uh, you know, I put the green eye shade on Dominic and, um, <laughs> and for four years. And then I realized that the green eye shade wasn't exactly what I wanted to do.
0: Enough.
1: <clears throat> I, um, went back and got two years of, um, of religion at Harvard business school, um, okay. where l- looking back on it, I, I had no idea how I got in, but uh, <laughs> but you know, almost everyone as I looked around the room was smarter than me. And uh, but and so I found myself dig- digging deep sometimes to define what made a leader successful. Right. But um, but you know, then after that, I took a job with a company called Trammell Crow Company in Los Angeles, California, and uh, I was in the real estate industry. And I have to tell you, I worked for a partner who was the first boss that I ever loved working for. Okay, And I, w- I was in my mid twenties and he was uh, fun, you know, full of life, treated everyone with dignity as if they mattered. And, um, was really generous with his time. And at the end of the day, really wanted us to be the best that we could be. And, um, yeah, you know, I realized that success in the job market is not necessarily defined by brilliance. Mm. Um, you know, it was defined by how you treated people Absolutely, Um, and um, how you, you know, how influential you are in their lives. And, um, you know, I think people work harder for leaders who care. Uh, I really do. And um, so, you know, I I had plenty of things over my career that influenced the way I thought about leadership. Um, I'm sure we'll get into um, uh, the crisis moment that I had at at Prologis. But, um, you know, those are some of the things that kind of shaped the way I thought about
0: Leadership, absolutely. No, I, I appreciate you sharing that. We're definitely going to dive into uh, some of the things that w- went on at Prologis and stuff like that. And uh, to, in reference to what you were saying earlier, I I live in Tennessee, but I may or may not be a fan of a team that lives that resides in Dallas that the Steelers are quite familiar Uh-oh. with. So and I think we're <laughs> going to still have a great conversation uh, today <laughs>
1: for sure. Oh my, they, they've had some Super Bowls together too. Absolutely. The Steelers absolutely. and the Cowboys. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: absolutely. So <clears throat> I, I want to ask you uh, about your parents really quickly because you, you talk about them uh, in the book and and you said even now uh, that they you kind of hit the parent lottery for sure can I yep. talk about them a little bit more can you, you know, tell me about your mom and your dad a little bit if you don't mind
1: no I don't mind at all mm-hmm. I, it, it's a, it's it's great um you know it's a great question my um you know i, I would say that my mother um, was amazingly optimistic um incredible incredibly resilient um <clears throat> and Um, you know, always, you know, always looked at the glass half full Right. and she was a hard charger. She pushed me very, very hard in my life, um, to really accomplish and to be the best I could be. My dad, on the other hand, um, was much more humble, Mm. um, really had a tremendous heart for people, um, was loved and revered by everybody that worked for him because, because he was a human. Right. And um, it was really interesting as I look back on on my parents, um, uh, you know they it, it's interesting how they both influence aspects of your life. There's no question that um, my charge to succeed came from my mother and yet, um, my need to treat people with dignity and, um, respect, um, which is really what transfluence is all about, right. uh, probably came even more from my dad, Not, not to say my mother wasn't that way, but, uh, he was, it was certainly a tremendous influence in terms of, you know, being a people person.
0: For sure. For sure. And, and you know, and speaking of your dad and, and having that lesson, uh, in transfluence in your book, you tell a story about, you know, him running his store and something that happened, uh, that day yeah. in the store. Can you share that story with us?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, my dad. Um, <clears throat> I was probably about three years old at the time. Right. Um, my dad, um, you know, he he uh, he he ran a store in Pittsburgh, and it was in a very tough area. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a gentleman that, that came into the store to rob him, and um, he uh, basically threw lie into my dad's eyes right. in hopes that. He could burn my dad's eyes out or at least uh, distract him and then go around the counter and steal um, uh, money from him. And uh, fortunately, in my dad's case, he picked a bottle of Log Cabin up and he uh, crashed it over the guy's head and the guy ran out of the store. But unfortunately, my dad um, ended up losing his right eye and uh, ultimately almost lost his left and he he had, had impaired seeing that through, you know, through his left eye. And then ultimately, you know, over time it got better, but
0: right.
1: you know, I can't tell you, but you know, and I talk a lot in the book about how, you know, adversity happens to everybody, Absolutely. but my, my dad wouldn't allow that adversity to define him. He, he, he was, um, you know, the type of person who looked at, um, also like my mother and in, in, in that regard, you know, looked right. at, The glass is half being half full. And he, and you know, he could have sulked about it. He could have talked about how it was, you know, going to ruin his life, ruin his career. He couldn't drive and all that good stuff. But no, instead, he was very positive. He was upbeat about it, even laughed about it. One time I can remember at Halloween, mm-hmm. he took his uh, plastic eye out. Mm-hmm. Um, when when we had kids come to the door and ask for, ask for candy, he took <laughs> his plastic eye out. And and he turned his head and he said, I just want you to know I'm still looking at you. Stay honest. Don't take any of that candy <laughs> out of the bag. <laughs> And I'll tell you, it was so funny, the kids just, you know, they almost ran away. They were so scared, you know, right, right. <laughs> but that was the kind of dad my, my dad was. And and I think, you know, you know, like you, you, you can't let those things define who you are in life. And right. and and he certainly did.
0: Absolutely. Now, thank you for sharing that in the book and now and startup nation. That's why I want to ask. Uh, Walt, about that story and for you to hear that story, uh, because I think you're absolutely right. You know, we can't let those those uh adverse situations define us, even if they have longstanding, you know, issues from that, like you said, with your dad and his eyes and stuff like that. But I, I think that's just fascinating. I think just so, so profound. And I can see uh, that you learned a lot from that situation.
1: I really did. And um, I used to say um. So my employees, when we were going through uh, the financial crisis, yeah. that adversity leads to perseverance and perseverance builds character. And mm. I, I really believe that character allows you to survive and thrive. You know, I, I use the quote, I don't remember if I use this in my book or not, but sometimes when I speak, I always think Vince Lombardi used to tell his backers that adversity is the first path to truth. Mm. Prosperity is a great teacher, but adversity is better. And I just think that you find the truth when the going gets tough. I mean, you, you also learn to dig deep. Right? You know, you, you do things that you never thought you could do, and you learn the most because you never forget them. And um, I, uh, you know, I, I when when we were going through that time, I used to remind my employees that That adversity, you know, it will come back. I mean, and and we're going to learn a lot. Our character is going to be tested, but we will be better as a result of that. And I I truly do believe that.
0: For sure. And I'm glad you said that. And that leads us to... The book Startup Nation. Once again, that book is Transfluence, How to Lead with Transformative Influence in Today's Climates of Change. And Startup Nation, that book is out today. We have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to the replay on the podcast. So uh, I, I want, you know, let's dive into the book a little bit more because like I said, you know, uh, that book is out now and I wanted you to take us back to the, the opening, the, those beginning weeks, uh, that you're appointed as CEO. Uh, at Prologis, you know, it, it's it's what you know the, the like fall two thousand eight. You know, we're kind of in the in the thick of the economic yep. crisis. Kind of shared that story a little bit.
1: Sure. Um. Uh, well, first, let me just say that um, uh, you know, I had been with Prologist for fifteen years prior to that. Right. Just just to set the stage, sure. and then I and I had risen through the ranks of the company. You know, I was a regional vice president, then I became chief financial officer and then I became the president and chief operating officer of the company. And I, let me just say just prior to 2008, um, you know, I, I was struggling. Um, the CEO who was my boss, really one of the most brilliant people that I ever knew. Uh, but you know, he believed that he always was right. He paid little attention to, what others had to say. He had very much had narcissistic tendencies. Gotcha. And you know, it, it, there was a, there was a lack of discipline as a result, um, the lack of delegation as a result. And sometimes you sort of twisted or turned the, the truth on its head. And, I was struggling with that, man. And I. so I went to the board and I said, look, I, I don't know where the company's heading, but I can't work under this culture anymore. Mm. Um, and, I, and I need to leave. And this was in January of 2008. Right. And at that point, our stock was at about 70, a little over $70 a share. Um, and that equated to a market capitalization of about $22 billion. So a very large company. Right. And I left and, um, you know, I just kept watching it go down and go down and go down. And, you know, the S&P 500 got crushed that year, too. But but by November of 2008, the stock had fallen over 96 percent to to below two to roughly two dollars a share was the third worst performing stock in the S&P 500. And I got a call from the board asking that I take over as CEO. And uh, they said, you know, you were right. Um, unfortunately, some of the things you said did manifest themselves the wrong way. And, uh, we're going to let go of the CEO. We'd like you to come back and run the company. And I have to tell you, Dominic, I, I knew it would take a Herculean effort, a big effort to get it done, but I agreed to do so. And, um, because, you know, a lot of our people there, I were people I hired and, uh, and they had lost confidence in the leadership. So it was really a crucible moment for me in 2008. And as, some, as I just mentioned a couple minutes ago, you know, I didn't feel like it at the time, but sometimes those crucible moments are our best opportunities. You right. know, I, you don't and you would never wish it on anybody. But so over the next four years, I learned the most about leadership. I really did. And that's when leading with Transfluence came alive to me. Um, and, um, you know, which is um You know, which, you know, I don't know if you want me to go into that at this stage in the game, but I'm happy to, you know, sort of go through the way I think about leadership as well. Go for it. Let's do it. So people ask me all the time, what is, okay, what in the heck is Transfluence, Walt? Like, you know, I've never heard that word, right? Right. And so, so as you said in the beginning of this, the word stands for transformative influence. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, as a leader, You've got a lot of objectives to accomplish. I mean, you really do, right? Um, And and you know, a lot of times in leadership, it's about the result. Like, you know, what's the result, Walt? My result is turn around the company. (laughs) You know, and um, but you don't realize your most important um, focus really is the influence you have on others that you lead. In other words, it's not as much the result; it's more about the journey. And I think if you focus on that, you'll get the results that you want. And so it starts with an understanding that it's not about you as a leader. And most leaders make it about them, but it's not. It's right. more about the influence that you have to, uh, on other people to accomplish great things, making them better at what they do. And so the word transfluence, you know, I like to say, I said in the book, the word transfluence, actor is a word tra- a transfluent. Right. Which means which means something that's kind of like a river, like flowing through you. And so Transfluence is something very similar in that it flows from the heart of a leader. Right. It's and I think it, it starts with building trust. I, I think that's the core tenet of it all. It starts with building trust because trust is the most important ingredient to leadership Success. success. If you can build trust in an organization, you can accomplish great things.
0: Gotcha. No, I appreciate that. And, you know, it's funny you mention it because, you know, given uh, our our current situation uh, with, you know, due to COVID-19 and stuff like that, it's almost kind of like a lot of companies uh, who we thought were kind of like, you know, seem like pretty strong companies are kind of being exposed a little bit. And so it it seems like in 2008, that similar thing kind of happened. Let me ask you this follow up, if you don't mind me asking. Do you think, if you know, 2008, the recession hadn't have happened, uh, that like some of those vulnerabilities with the previous CEO would have been exposed at all, or did it take something like that to kind of show, like, oh, okay, you know, well, Walt was right, man.
1: That's a really good question, um, and I, the, the way I've answered that in the past is I've been asked that before. Is I, I really, tr- I truly believe about half of our fall was due to the market, mm. and I think, but what happens is. It's like the tide that goes out. Right. Right. You know, when the when the tide is in, it covers up a lot of mistakes. Um, but when the tide goes out, you're sitting there naked with your underwear on and and, and everybody. And, you know, you're so you're exposed at, or, or with your underwear off, I should say, whatever it is. But, you know, you're you're sitting there exposed. And and I think that that's what happened to the company. I mean, a lot of the mistakes that we had made leading up to that time really got exposed because of the financial crisis you know in other words we made we had made um we had overpaid for certain assets we made you know acquisitions that we shouldn't have made we leveraged up the company um with too much debt and if the if the world would have not gotten a lot worse perhaps we could have gotten by but when the world got worse then it really exposed a lot of the mistakes that we had made gotcha and and I and I kind of think the same thing with uh, with what's happening today. I mean, those companies that um, are rock solid are, are likely going to make it through, and there's going to be some companies that aren't. Right. Um, and unfortunately, they'll you know they'll they'll uh, they won't survive.
0: Gotcha. No, I, I appreciate that. So I, I want to ask you this. So you you come back to Prologist, you you assume the the title of you know, president and ceo so like those first 90 days or first 100 days whether because we see like you know how like when a, there's a new president or something like that the first 100 days are kind of critical so those first 100 days what was the game plan like what was what was implemented what was the the strategy there if you don't mind walt yeah
1: well there was you know there's a f- there's a financial strategy of which course. I'll be brief brief about, and then there's something that a, a, f- a phone call that I had that was really significant that I'll go into a little bit more detail. Absolutely, on. the financial strategy was that we, um, you know, that we had to um, raise capital, pay down debt as soon as we could. You utilize the capital that we use to pay down debt to try to leverage our position with lenders and stave off bankruptcy that was the, that, that, that's basically the financial model. Right. Um, the, the impact that, that I had one phone call that was just incredibly impactful to me. Okay. And, um, about how you lead, because Mm. I, here's the thing when you're in a difficult time like that, one thing I found out is that employees focus on every word that you mutter, And every action that you take, it's really interesting how it's all magnified um, and people watch you um, very, very closely. And so I got a call from a friend of mine um, who was an investment banker that we used quite a bit. And he um, he was with Morgan Stanley. He said, well, do you want to talk with – would you like to talk with John Mack, who is the CEO of Morgan Stanley? And I don't know if you know much about John Mack, but he was – uh, revered within the investment banking business, people um thought the the world of him, so did his people. absolutely. Um, and you know I thought, well, I really would like to talk to him because you remember, at the time, um, you know um Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, everybody in the minds of investors were going bankrupt, and absolutely. nobody really knew who was going to survive. And um, so I talked with him, and I said, John, you know, I know the treasury Secret- uh, the the treasury secretary, the Fed trying to jam banks together. I mean, I don't talk to me about what I read every day because I don't really. That's all, you know, confidential. But I just right. want to know how how you're managing your people. Mm. And he says to me, he said, you know, Walt, I got to tell you, I I uh, I believe that the best leaders lead on the basis of the three H's. And I said, Mm. what in the heck is that? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Now he's got my attention. Right. And he said, you know, the best leaders are humble. They are honest. And they, uh, in this day and age, a banker needs to have a sense of humor. And I, I thought a lot about those words and I'll tell you, you know, Dominic, it's one of these things where you, you walk away, you ponder them, you think about them, you know, and, um, I love the first two words. The last one, I, I wasn't sure I was the most humorous person in the world, but I think what John Mack really meant was that you know you got to treat people in a human way, whether that's cracking a joke or whether that or whether that's just simply how you are around them. And to me, it was all about humility, honesty, and humanness. Right. And and I think that's what he meant. And and so I started thinking about that. And humility is is kind of a word that. That connotes sort of how, how you see yourself. Right. Heart or humanness is kind of how you see others. And I think honesty is kind of the transaction that connects the two of you, you with with the outside world. And I started thinking about those words and what they meant to me and how it defined how I would lead. And um, and they really became important words. And I, I kind of wrote them down and, and I, I would ask myself every day, am I leading in a humble way? Am I leading in an honest way? And am am I leading in a human way? Am I putting others before myself, you know, and, and, uh, do I think too much of myself? Right. And uh, am I being brutally honest, you know, with, with my people? And I think if, you know, when you think about building trust in an organization, if, if those become three of the words that you, uh, adopt. I guarantee you, you will build trust because um, people recognize leaders and they recognize how they treat them. They recognize how honest they are with them and they recognize what they think about themselves. And um, if you get those things right, I believe you'll build trust in your organization.
0: I definitely understand that humor part because I think a lot of times – You know, uh, we see a lot of leaders and you kind of alluded to the one, you know, the one you uh, succeeded there where they kind of they think pretty highly of themselves. And so that kind of comes across uh, to those uh, to those other uh, team members and those teammates uh, within the organization. And so I think the humor kind of breaks that that barrier, if you will, to like makes you seem more approachable and stuff like that. Wouldn't you kind of agree with that, Walt?
1: Oh, man, I I absolutely would agree with that. Yeah. Um, I did a blog. (laughs) I did a blog recently. I don't know how much you've read my website, but there's a blog a couple months ago I did on a situation that was just absolutely priceless. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was about a year into the turnaround where I decided to take my management team up into the mountains and and do a hike. And I brought people in from Europe and Asia and, you know, South America. Everybody comes in and and we um, we start hiking. Uh, up in the Colorado mountains, which is where our headquarters were. And um, we, we hike up to the hut, this hut, and we decide to make dinner. And after dinner, a bunch of us are playing cards. And then after cards, myself and my general counsel decided that we were going to go to sleep early. So we went upstairs and then we kind of got this bug that we were going to just absolutely destroy everybody else. So we hit everybody's clothes and um, I, everybody came, comes up about an hour later and we're faking like we're sleeping. And, uh, my chief investment officer looks around the room and he says, where in the heck are my clothes? Right. And so then everybody's getting ticked off and he gets a fire extinguisher and he, and he puts it up next to my, the face of my general counsel. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and my general counsel looks you know, he's thinking like he's sleeping and he keeps saying, Ed, if you don't get me my clothes soon, I'm going to, I'm going to unleash this thing. And, and what you know he does it he un, he absolutely <laughs> shoots the fire extinguisher out okay everybody runs out of the room cuz you could hardly breathe everybody's running downstairs we're laughing and you know story like that becomes became folklore i mean what mm, was right. it was obvious to us or certainly obvious to me that the tension rises so much right. during a time like this absolutely. that you need to have some level of humor you really really do And I think it's critically important that a leader recognize that.
0: All right, Startup Nation, so we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. we got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson, and you're listening to The Startup Life. aurelex powers this episode of the startup life startup nation as a podcaster radio host and business owner i know a thing or two about the need for your message to come through clearly to your target audience the last thing you want when trying to close a big deal over the phone or giving a sales presentation in your conference room is to have the person you are talking to be distracted by either the fact that you sound like you're in a warehouse or an outside noise like a fire truck trust me startup nation I know this all too well from experience. And that is why Auralex has your back. Auralex Acoustics creates professionally tested products that you can trust in a commercial space or at home. Better office acoustics improves intelligibility when video conferencing or generic conversation reduces stress and helps build a proactive work atmosphere. From a home studio for my content creators to your office space downtown, your gear performs better in an acoustically treated room. Trust me, you are in good hands with Orolex as they are the number one brand in acoustics, providing trusted solutions for over 40 years. Also, you can download the Auralex Acoustic Treatment mobile app in the Apple or Google Play Store to give you specifically designed and instantaneous recommendations for various room types. Go to oralx.com and use the promo code STARTUP in all caps for 10% off your entire order. The link is there in the show notes if you are listening to the replay on the podcast. So if you are ready to stop sounding like you're having a sales meeting in a sports arena, go with Oral-X. Professional audio made simple. Tresta powers this episode of The Startup Life. And it's all unlimited. Calling, texting, and all of the powerful call management features like auto attendance, call recording, user groups, and more for just $15 per user per month. With Tresta, there's no contract, and you don't need any special hardware, just your smartphone you're already using. Tresta is easy to configure, so you can set everything up yourself, all online, avoiding all the hassle and high overhead costs of setting up a traditional business phone system. Which is important because as entrepreneurs, we are always trying to cut cost and time. They're often a 30-day free trial, so you can see if Tresta's virtual phone system is right for you. Communicate smarter and more efficiently with Tresta. Start now at Tresta.com forward slash Startup Life. That's T-R-E-S-T-A dot com forward slash Startup Life. The link is there in the show notes if you're listening on the podcast. Tresta, business communication simplified. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back as we continue our conversation with today's guest here on the Startup Life. Startup Nation, that blog you can find on rakowich, uh, dot com. We have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to the replay on the podcast. And also going back to the 3H uh, core, uh, doctrine, if you will. Uh, Startup Nation throughout the book, you'll find graphics, uh, like the 3H core, or also one that I liked was the inverted pyramid where it talks about the CEO being at the bottom, then there's corporate support, field support, frontline associates, and then ultimately the customers. And once again, Startup Nation, that book is out today. Uh, we have a link there in the show notes for easy access for you to purchase uh, that book. You know, one of the things I liked about the book is that like not only do you have a chapter recap, uh, but you have transfluence in action at the end of each, uh, chapter. Yeah. And the reason I like that is because this is where a lot of times we re- we see books, we read books, and like you read that book like that was a great book. I'll I gain some stuff. You kind of throw it over on the shelf and stuff like that. But this is one of those books where it's one of those breathing living books where it, it kind of challenges you to go deeper, to go further, to actually put some of those things. Uh, in action. Talk about the strategy of putting the Transfluence in action uh, part at the end of each chapter, Walt.
1: Well, I just think it's important, you know, when I was, when we were, I should say we were writing the book because there's a lot of influence that my team had on the book with me. Of course. But when when we were writing the book, we we thought, you know, it's it's just when you read a book, you just, sometimes you get a little bit lost in it and you say, okay, what's the what's the bottom line here? And um, I, I was asking myself, what's the bottom line of each chapter? What do I want people to know? What's the two or three bullets that I want people to th- What are the takeaways? What are the practical takeaways associated with this? And I just thought it was important to to do it. Um, at the end of the day, that's what I really remember. Gotcha. It's interesting. You could, you could talk to somebody for 20 minutes, but they end up remembering one or two things about the conversation. And I just like them to understand what I think the most important things are and uh, hopefully they will, uh, you know, they'll they'll agree. And, and then that will be their takeaway.
0: Absolutely. No, I, I definitely appreciate uh, that part uh, of the book. But you also in the book talk about uh, leadership fear buckets. Kind of break that down for us a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think um, let me tell you, I, I, I truly believe that the two common mistakes that leaders make or the, the biggest challenges that leaders make are uh, pride and fear. I talk a lot about pride and I talk a lot about fear in the book. Um, I think, look, I think authentic pride can be good. I, you know, taking pride in our work, taking pride in our children, taking pride in certain things. I get that. And I'm not discouraging that. But, um, hubristic pride is just an absolute leadership killer. And when I'm talking about that, I mean vanity, egotism, arrogance, narcissism. I saw those things in living color i i saw them almost destroy a company uh, because leadership starts from the top and so you know you look at the problems at fifa you look at the problems at volkswagen you look at the problems at gm you look at the problems that prologis had leading up to 2008 they're almost all caused by prideful arrogant leadership and there's just no room for that on in fear you know look some also like pride some fears can be good you know Taylor Swift one time said that she performs better because she's so fearful about getting out on stage that it just forces her to work harder. I think that's great. But most fears are bad. And the reason is because, in Pride's the same way, it's all about us. Right. It makes it, and, and it makes, you know, when we're self-absorbed, it makes it really difficult for us to serve other people. Um, I talk about I believe I talk about in the book uh, that that one one article really that I read uh, not too long ago from in HBR, Harvard Business Review, really, uh, really got my attention. It was uh, it's called What CEOs Are Afraid Of. And Mm. they interviewed, uh, I don't know, 100 and some odd C-suite people. And they asked them, what is their biggest fear? And, you know, you might think that they would say, well, their competition, right, or their their people. Or perhaps their financial well-being or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. No. The number one fear of these C-suite executives was incompetence. Mm. Where CEOs talked about it, and they talked about how it undermined their relationships with other executives. They talked about how um, it's sort of a fear of being wrong or not having the right answer. Right. And it leads to dictatorial leaders. It leads to leaders that don't listen because they want to be right. I saw this firsthand at Prologis, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, with 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 the previous C, our previous CEO. The second fear is underachievement, and it caused them. And they they talked about it. It's a fear of not doing enough, right. or a competitor competitor doing something doing something that you don't do, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it leads to a lack of discipline, making acquisitions that perhaps you shouldn't make. And then the third one, and I won't go any further than this, but was the fear of being vulnerable, appearing mm. too vulnerable, right? It's a fear of not being important, not being relevant. Um, you know, and, and, and it can lead to a lack of delegation also, uh, right. Because you want to, you want to be relevant. Right. And so, but here's the thing about all these things, you know, they are all about the leaders, you think about it and great leadership in my mind, and we talk a lot about this in the book starts with one simple premise, and that is, it's not about you. It starts with admitting our our pride, admitting our fear, admitting our insecurities, because we all have them. It's not like we don't have them and we wake up every day with with new ones. But but if you can deal with them, if you can admit them in front of, maybe in front of others, you defeat them. You know, the more the more you focus on them, the more that you you know are willing to admit you got them, the more you can defeat them. And that's what I think. You know, I, I think part of leading in a transfluent way, which is really outward, not inward, is dealing with your fears and your pride. Sure. They're critically important challenges that leaders have.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Do a quick reset here. Once again, Startup Nation, we are talking to Walt Rakowich, uh, the author of Transfluence, How to Lead with Transformative Influence in Today's Climates of Change. And I definitely agree with you about that. When you talked about the example with Taylor Swift and that good type of fear, it reminds me of what I tell uh, new fathers like Dominic, man, I'm about to be a dad. I'm scared. I was like, if you're scared, that's a good thing, because if you're scared, yeah. you're, you're you, if you're scared or fearful, that means you care you know if you, if yeah. if you weren't then I would have you know then we may have to have a different conversation so i definitely agree with you there and i also agree with you about the part about like owning up to uh certain things and and sharing that uh with your team and you you have a great quote in the book about vulnerability and it says yep. quote vulnerability isn't the tool you abandon as you climb the corporate ladder because it forces you to trust others and earns you trust in return in call and i just absolutely Love that. I wish more and more leaders uh, would kind of share that vulnerability uh, because they could definitely strengthen the team and ultimately uh, uh organizational culture, which ultimately lead to a great bottom line. When you agree, Walt,
1: I would agree, Dominic. And um I, I think vulnerability is important because it's human absolutely, it's, and it's powerful. And by the way, I'm not I wouldn't recommend that leaders always show vulnerability. Sure, I'm not of course. saying that at all, but right. I mean there's time and place for it, but right. you know, they 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 should be willing to do so in appropriate times and I, cuz I think it's one of the strongest expressions of honesty right. that you can have. So I I um let me let me share a quick story with sure. you. Um so um I was you know, maybe a month into the job
0: 2008.
1: Okay. Um and um So uh, we were sitting there about one o'clock in the morning. There were about 10 people in the room, most of my finance team, and they looked at me and they said, "Uh, Well, we have some bad news for you. And I said, Okay, what's the bad news? And they said, Well, we're about ready to blow our covenants on our bonds. and um they're all cross-collateralized so when we blow one covenant we blow them for for most of them and so there's six or seven billion dollars of bonds that will we will blow our covenants on i said when and they said probably next month or next couple months and um i said so guys what does that mean and they said well walt that means that means we're gonna have to declare bankruptcy now i had been with this company 15 years before i came back and um you know, I mean, again, many of the people I hired, I had helped build the company. My management team was, you know, terrific. And I, I gotta tell you something, I just turned white as white as a ghost. I bet. And I looked I looked at everybody in the room and I said, um, you guys mind if I just get a quick breather outside? Just I just need to take a quick walk. And they said, No, well, that's fine. So I walked down the hallway, turned I remember turning the turning The uh, making a right turn down the hallway and there was a uh, a desk in the distance Mm -hmm. with a chair and I felt like I was going to faint. And I I started to, you know, hurry up and get try to get to the chair to catch me. And I I didn't make it. And the corner of my head hit the corner of the desk and split my head open. Wow. And I was laying there on the floor and um, what turned out to be about 10 minutes uh, knocked out. And then I woke up and I for honestly, Dominic, for the first 30 seconds, I swear I did not know where I was. I had no idea. And All then right. I saw that saw the pool of blood on the floor. And the first thing that came to my mind when I got my senses was, oh, my gosh, there's still 10 people or so sitting in the room waiting for me to come back. Mm. And they waited there religiously. And I, I went into the bathroom and I tried to, you know, clear up the the, right. the huge lump on my head, get it to stop bleeding, and then I walked in the room and I said, "Okay, guys, let's start talking. Let's talk about this bankruptcy thing." note my, I think it was my chief financial officer <laughs> that said to me, "Well, no, let's first talk about that big egg <laughs> right. on your head. What exactly. the heck happened, right?" Right. And I realized, you know, at that time, I was busted. I mean, I was to- totally busted, right? And I looked around the room, and I said, "You know what, guys? I just got to tell you." Um, this is tough for me. I said, I've been with this company forever. And honestly, I don't have the answers. Mm. I I mean, I'm hired as the CEO to run this company and I don't have the answers. I don't know where to start. I said, my guess is the answer is with all of you, but I just want you to know that I'm feeling pretty vulnerable right now. And, um, you know, it was really interesting. Um, I looked around the room. There was silence for a little while. I'm, I'm not sure that they're used to the CEO saying, saying something like that. Right. And um, but you know what happened is there was this outcry, where he said, "You know what, well, Don't worry about it. We're going to get you through this. We're going to get through this as as a team. We're going to get you know. We'll come up with the answers. We'll come up with some ideas, and let us get back to you." And I really you know, made me realize the power in vulnerability at times Right. because people know what you're going through and they're going through the same thing by the way themselves. You know, no one's a strong man. At the end of the day, we all need each other. And I actually think another thing that came out of that was this whole notion of empowerment. People felt like I didn't have the answers. They had the answers. I told them they had the answers. Right. And I think as a result of that, they felt empowered to come up with the answer. thats big. Um, And, and, and they did, right. by the way, they came up with of the, course. you know, it took, it took, it they came up with the answer and we never had to declare bankruptcy, which is amazing. The other thing that's really amazing, and I haven't told many people this, but believe it or not, we never got sued. I, I just can't believe we didn't get sued as a company by shareholders, by, you know, some stakeholder that was out there. We never got a suit during the whole time. And it was, Absolutely unbelievable. And I truly believe it was because of the efforts of our people. But I do believe back to your question that vulnerability has its place in a leader in leadership toolbox. And we shouldn't hesitate during an honest, transparent moment with our employees to use it.
0: And I I appreciate you sharing that, Walt, even on a different level, because it it goes to show that whether you're the CEO of a company or president of the United States or head of state of somewhere else is like, you really do lean on, uh, the team, the advisors, you know, those people in those roles, like, I mean, they're, they're there to do a job for a reason. And they're there to advise you. Now, ultimately you're the one who has to pull the trigger on on a decision and stuff like that. But leaning on, on that team is just critical.
1: It's just so critical. it is Dominic. And I, I can tell you this, that nine times out of 10, they know more than you do
0: facts. <laughs> big
1: facts. Now, now if you ask, you know, a lot, of not most, but if you ask some CEOs, they'll tell you that they know everything that they know more than everybody in the company. Just not true. Right? It just isn't true. People are, you know, you're, you're the folks that are reporting to you are so much closer to the action. And then the p- people that report to them are even closer to the action. And, um, that's why, you know, you talked about in the book, I, I, I talk about the inverted pyramid that right. came to me that that idea came to me through a conversation I had with Frank Blake, who was the CEO of um, Home Depot. And Frank um, turned the inverted pi- pyramid around and said, the CEO is actually at the bottom and everything right. needs to flow up from there. And it's so true because it, because your customers know um You know, your people and your people and your customers, they're the ones that are close to the action. If you can't listen to them, you will never, ever succeed in the long run. For sure. In my mind.
0: For sure. No, I I appreciate that. Let me ask you a quick follow-up before we transition, because you talked about earlier about getting into Harvard Business School and how… You were saying like I don't even know how I got in this place, right? You know, a lot of people <laughs> right. were, like you know, ext- you know, extremely intelligent and stuff like that. Do you think yeah. going through that experience at Harvard Business School and having that feeling allowed you to uh, be successful and turn around prologists? Because th- I mean, there's, there's clear yeah. there, there, there's there's pre- uh, sorry, uh, there's clear That's symmetry right. there. There's clear symmetry there.
1: Well, I would say, look, I think it, I think it was, it was great preparation for me to. Uh, become a leader. I think it, it helped me business school helped me in so many different areas, but it really wasn't as much what I learned. It was the people that I networked with on a daily basis. You know, I used to say way back when it was like playing tennis with, um, either my wife or with John McEnroe, which one do you think I would become better at? Mm. And I always, always felt that going to, uh, HBS allowed me to, you know, network with and be around, um, people who would be future captains of America and also people who are really smart. And I think they, they help raise the bar. That said, do I think it's critically important to uh, my leadership success that I went there? No, I think it was a piece of what I learned, but not everything. You know, I think I learned a lot in the job and I will tell you this. I feel like I learned almost as much from in terms of people from my first boss in um los angeles that i talked about mm-hmm. than anything because you know it, you, you know you learn from people who care and um and when you're at business school it becomes a cerebral thing it becomes um you know the the, the people that succeed the, the most in business school are the ones with the brains but at the in the workplace it's the people who care the most about, about other people i think they're the people that succeed and so i'd say it was a combination of business school but also my experiences
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. I, I want to shift gears here because I, I want to ask you this. Where, where do you see, you know, given everything that's going on now, like people are starting to rethink, uh, you know, uh, you know, working from home, remote working, virtual yep. learning with education and stuff like that. Do you see there being a shift, uh, in the, uh, the uh, commercial real estate space, because I I was reading an article the other day about REI, how it it built this fantastic, this amazing uh, new headquarters. And then the pandemic kind of hit and now they're getting ready to sell it. And they never even used it because now they're starting to think about, you know, doing remote work. What's your commentary on that, Walt? So uh, here's
1: real estate to me right now Mm -hmm. is, is sort of a tale of two cities. Okay. There's, there's the haves and there's the have nots. Let me tell you about the haves. Sure. The haves are my former business, warehouses. The haves are data centers. Mm. The haves are homes. The haves, for the most part, are data and distribution driven real estate, um, where online shopping, which comes directly from a warehouse or, um, you know, online shopping, which causes data explosion. I mean, those, that, that real estate is on fire today. And, and houses are on fire because of low interest rates. But the flip side of that is, real estate, hotels, uh, office buildings, retail outlets—they're getting killed. Mm-hmm. They're all—they're all people and leisure-driven real estate, not data and distribution-driven real estate. But people and leisure-driven real estate. There you have occupancies going down, you have rents going down. You probably, in the longer run, will have value—or should—I'm should, sorry, more in the short run, will have values right. going down. Um, so and so you either have Real estate that's doing incredibly well, that really has to do with data and distribution, or you have real estate that's doing incredibly poorly that is people and leisure driven. And I would say my personal opinion is, you know, it's never as bad as you think. And um, right. In the short run, are, are you right? Um, is REI right? Yeah, I mean, like, it's like, there's likely to be opportunities, quite frankly, to buy certain real estate at reduced values, hotels, office buildings, retail centers, right. those that can't survive, those that maybe have too much debt um, will probably get sold at cheaper prices. But I think in the longer term, I think there's still going to be a need for quality hotels, for quality office buildings, quality retail centers. Perhaps less in the short term, but on the longer term, I still think we we like interacting with each other. You know, right. we we like getting out. We like traveling. I believe we're going to go back to that. In fact, I believe there's a lot of people that are hungry for that today. Absolutely. Um, and and there, there are people that are hungry to go back into their offices. They just wish they could, but their kids are still home from school, so they got to stay at home with for them, sure. you know. Yeah. So I think we'll get back to that. You know, Dominic, I don't think it's going to be as much gloom and doom as people think. But certainly in the short run, there are haves and there are have nots
0: for sure. No, I I definitely agree with that. And And I can definitely tell you there's a third grader downstairs right now who wished he could be inside of a building. Uh, for, <laughs> exactly. uh, for sure. Uh, so I definitely agree you got with you uh, for yeah. sure. I, I want to ask you something uh, else as well and just kind of get your commentary on it, because you, you went to Penn State. Obviously, uh, Penn State is in the Big Ten. And uh, we know that uh, there was leadership that come from the Big Ten to kind of say we're going to kind of halt uh, football operations for the fall. But I think now they're thinking about, uh, as of this recording, maybe kind of ushering it and doing it after Thanksgiving or something like that. You know, yeah, talk about maybe. the I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I said ho- hopefully, maybe for sure. For <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But no, talk about that, 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 leadership from the big 10 commissioner, kind of make that call. Cause that wasn't an easy call. We, we all know in this country how football is, is heavily valued. And so kind of talk about that leadership decision yeah. from your standpoint, if you don't mind.
1: Well, you know, I, first of all, I'm on the board at Penn state, so oh, okay. there's only, there's only so much I can, I can say, of
0: course, of um,
1: course. but I, I would say that, um, there's always two sides of the coin. Sure. Look, am I, am I, am I um, bummed out that we're not playing football this, this fall? Of course I am. Right. And, um, but, uh, but, you know, we had a board call and, and again, I won't go through the details, but where, where our president took us through some very, very difficult decisions that all the presidents had to make. And, mm. and it was, it was data driven. Um, Certainly was data driven. Right. Um, And unfortunately, you know some people can look at a certain situation and say this is what I see and other people will look at the same exact situation and say this is what I see and they're two different things and I think the Big 10 and the Pac 12 are simply looking at the same data that everybody else is looking at it they're right. just wor- worried about it they're conservative about it and there's a lot you know there's a lot of empirical evidence that would say that especially with colder weather and 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 you know um, what we see ahead, that actually deaths will increase, not decrease, in the short run. That's right. not to say we're not going to get through mm-hmm. this. We certainly will, but in the short run, there may be more downside than upside. That's the way I think the Big Ten's looking at it, and I think other conferences are looking at the same exact data in a more hopeful way. And I and we're only gonna find out long you know longer term who was right and who was wrong maybe neither of them are right or wrong right um, but I, I think they're genuinely trying to look at data and and make a decision and um, I know there are a lot of really disappointed people sure. as a result of it
0: for sure absolutely I, I am definitely one of those. People that are a bit disappointed, but you know, I it, it wasn't. It can't be an easy call either way. it, no. it can not be an easy call, and so I, I just definitely want to get your commentary on that leadership uh uh thinking there for sure. Once again, Startup Nation, we're racking up, uh, wrapping up uh with Walt Racket, which the uh, car- former president and CEO of Prologis. I said it right that time. Yeah, uh, you Prologis, did. You got it <laughs> uh, for sure. So I, I want to ask sure. you this: kind of talk about your wife Sue and how important she's been on your career journey.
1: Oh my gosh. Um, she's been an absolute rock. Mm -hmm. Um, I I could, I could never have, um, first of all, let me back up. I, I, it's for those of those of you who don't know what a, uh, um, a CEO goes through in most companies, especially a a CEO running a global company, my average, um, time on an airplane would be, well, I'll just say miles would be probably near 300,000 miles a year. Wow. And, um, you know, that's six trips to Europe. That's probably, six or seven trips to Asia that's a trip or two to Australia that's a you know you're, you're just all over the world and that's not to mention New York Chicago San Francisco and the like so you know you you cannot ever have that lifestyle if you don't have somebody really strong especially if you, if you have kids if you don't have somebody strong at home that can um, be your partner and my wife um, was a rock, an absolute rock. And um, she's very um, independent. Um, she's very uh, confident and uh, she's very smart and uh, she's such a people person. And my kids are just blessed that they had her as a mother um, in growing up, because if it was just up to me, um, being somewhat of an absentee father, it would have been um it may have been a different story, but my kids turned out wonderfully um strong and great, you know, I think great um leaders themselves. And I, I, I they just wouldn't have gotten there without my, my wife. And and I, I wouldn't have stayed sane without my wife. The other and then I'd say one other thing.
0: Sure.
1: When when you're a CEO, you you've got a lot of events, you've got a lot of formal things to go to, you've got employees to entertain dignitaries to entertain and the like. And my wife, um, is about as good as it gets. She's a, she's, she's a former saleswoman and, um, she's great with names, uh, terrific with people, darn good looking. And, (laughs) you know, and so all of that stuff, um, led to just a great partner.
0: I hear that. I hear that. Thank you for sharing all of that for sure. And before I ask the last question, I just want to say uh, thank you so much for coming on the startup life. You gave us uh, so much great Intel and value and and, and content that we can definitely uh, put in our entrepreneurial toolkit. And once again, startup nation, that book, Is Transfluence, How to Lead with Transformative Influence in Today's Climates of Change. And you want to add that link and and put that book in your Entrepreneur Toolkit. We have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to uh, the replay on the podcast. But Uncle Walt, I'm actually going to turn the microphone over to you because with everything going on, there's a lot of uh, discouraged people out there. Give us some words of encouragement to take us out for today, if you don't mind. Good, sir.
1: All right. I'll do that. Um, I would say to all the entrepreneurs out there, you are and you will be, if you're not already the leaders of, in our world. Um, you're, you're the future, you know? And I would just say, as you lead, I just don't want you to forget the journey. I mean, I, we're all in search of that result, right? Whatever that result is, build your company, um, you know, ultimately, but you, you decide what it is. But I just don't want you to forget the journey. I think the journey is not just about you. It's about the influence that you have on others. And you are in a position to have tremendous influence on others. And that's really your legacy. That's what your takeaway is. And I think if you keep that in mind, I think those people will actually help you succeed. Um, They will. And that's what leadership is all about. That's what Transfluence is all about. You're going through a terrific time right now. Um, even though maybe it seems like it for some of you and say, it doesn't seem like it for some of you others, but, but I just tell you that the journey, don't forget about the journey, um, every day it happens every minute and every day. It's about the influence you have on other people. People are watching you as the leader. And, um, I just wish you all the best. And, um, I, I'm positive if you do that, right, uh, you will succeed.
0: Thank you so much. And that's going to wrap up this session of The Startup Life. Once again, we want to thank Walt Brackiewicz to come on the show. Thank you so much, Uncle Walt. Thank you so much for your time. All right, Dominic. Thank you, too. Take care now. No worries. And as always, Startup Nation, if you have an idea, be about that life, The Startup Life. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play,